Wellspring podcast is presented by Wellspring of Life Church, a community of faith, hope, and purpose. I was thinking this week that should the Lord tarry, if he were to tarry, and, and if a couple hundred years from now, historians should choose to write about our times, about our society, I'm pretty sure it wouldn't be described as one that understood or experienced true rest. You agree? I mean, we live in a pretty chaotic society, don't we? I mean, there's just, it's just nuts. Um, I think instead they would no doubt write about a society known for its anxiety, seen in a plethora of vacation destinations providing havens for those who are approaching the critical zone of burnout, treatment facilities, housing countless victims of mental and emotional and physical breakdown, therapists trying to calm the fearful, and physicians routinely prescribing antidepressants and anti-anxiety medications. As I thought about that, it, it occurred to me that we even give these things to our pets now. What does that say about us and our society? Our generation is marked by all the ingredients of a society dominated by anxiety, feelings of apprehension, uneasiness, worry, and even dread. As the writer of the book of Hebrews informs us, God has provided a rest. Rest is a good word. Do you like that word? (laughs) I like it. He has provided a rest that we can have and experience every day of our lives. And it doesn't even require a drive to some distant treatment facility. The problem, however, is even though it is available and even though it is free, many of us don't ever enter into this rest that God provides. The point being made in Hebrews chapter 4, that's your clue to where we are this morning, Hebrews chapter 4, is that it is possible for us to find rest if we would be willing to do it God's way. And so the writer calls to our attention those years in Israel's history when the result of divine discipline was really quite devastating. You see, when I think you've heard it said here enough times, you know already that when we choose to do it our way and instead of God's, there are consequences to that, right? Yeah. Those who could have been healthy living in the land flowing with milk and honey by their own doing ended up being left behind and dying in the wilderness because of unbelief and disobedience. They exchanged abundant joy and refreshing rest with generation after generation of anxiety and turmoil. 
What a tragedy. God offered them rest, and they refused it. I find it equally tragic that when God extends that very same offer of rest to believers today, they too often discard it. Basically, these verses that we will be looking at this morning are saying, do not be like they were. (laughs) Pointing to their unbelief and disobedience. Rest was offered. Rest was rejected. But what kind of rest is the author of Hebrews writing about? Is it physical or emotional or is it mental? The author is referring to a present reality available for all believers. It is a spiritual condition that he's talking about that affects our inner peace, our joy, and our hope. The concept of a spiritual place of rest is explained for us in this passage. We are being given a warning. And even though it is a warning, please understand it is not a threat. Okay? He's saying, look, this promise from God really is good news. Here it is that. Understand it is that. It's good news. It's it's too good to miss. It's that good. And so do not let it pass you by. God really does want us to know that spiritual rest really is available. It doesn't require having to fly to some tropical paradise or rent a cabin on some mountain somewhere, meaning this place of rest, this promised land, if you will, is not a geographical location. He's talking about a spiritual place place, a quality of life found in his presence, wherever you are, and no matter what might be going on in your life. This is what God wants us to know because it is for real, church. It's the real deal. It's for real, this rest. But it seems as though many believers Choose to just simply not believe it. I don't know what other conclusion we can come to because of our refusal and discarding and rejecting this peace that gets offered to us. Ah, but there's good news here. Nevertheless, and I like to say it like this, in spite of us, (laughs) in spite of our unbelief, in spite of our tendency toward fear, And anxiety, the promise, the writer says, still remains. The promise made centuries ago to those Israelites in the Old Testament continues to remain today. In other words, God hasn't taken it back. He continues to offer it and make it available to us. It still remains. So let's look at this first verse of Hebrews chapter 4. And really, just just begin with that very first word. Therefore, (laughs) we just keep running into that word, don't we? We just can't escape it. As we've often seen, this chapter is tied to the one 
that came before it. This term, this transitional term, therefore, means that Hebrews chapter 4 is connected to what has just been said in chapter 3. Okay? It's a reminder that which is contained in chapter 3, which gets specified in really verses 15 through 19 of chapter 3. And I want to read those verses if you can follow with me. It says, just as been said, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion. Who were they who heard and rebelled? Were they not all those Moses led out of Egypt? And with whom was he angry for 40 years? <laughs> was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies perished in the wilderness? And to whom did God swear that they would never enter his rest, if not to those who disobeyed? So we see that they were not able to enter because of their unbelief. Now let's read the rest of verse 1 of chapter 4. Therefore, since the promise of entering his rest still stands. There it is. Let us be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short of it. The people of Israel are brought before us to remind us. And oh, what a reminder they are, right? Reminding us that the very same opportunity that they had to enter God's rest continues and remains for us. It still stands, it says. This warning, again, is intended to help keep us alert to the things that we cannot, we dare not afford to forget or overlook. So the writer says here in this first verse, let us be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short of it. The it obviously referring to the promise that still stands, the offer of spiritual rest. Let's go on here and look at verse two. And before we do, I just want to say this word rest in the original language is a word that had the meaning of a putting to rest or a causing to cease. Well, that's kind of obvious then what the ceasing is to be, right? Worry, fear, anxiety, anxiousness, fretting, stressing, all those kinds of things. Now, verse 2 and 3. For we also have had the good news proclaimed to us, just as they did, but the message they heard Listen to this now, church, or as you're looking at that and as you were hearing it, was of no value to them. Those are some pretty serious words. In other words, the word of God, words spoken from a place of his heart, meaning love and care, compassion, mercy and grace, had no value value to them. And then the writer tells us how we know it had no value to them because they did not share the faith of those who obeyed. Telling us it had no value to them 
evidenced by their disobedience, by their rejection of what God was offering to them. Verse 3, now we who have believed enter that rest. Just as God has said, so I declared on oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. And yet, his works have been finished since the creation of the world. Moses' generation missed out because they heard God's message but failed to believe, which led to their disobedience, which led to nothing but turmoil in their lives. Therefore, as I said a moment ago, being left behind to perish in the wilderness, having never ever in, been allowed to enter the promised land. So what message did they hear that would be similar to the one we hear today as the writer is describing for us? I can think of several things. Mount Sinai, there they are. And God says, I am calling you out, separating you as a people unto me for one reason, so that you will make me known to the world. He gave them some commandments, didn't he, to obey, at least 10 of them. <laughs> and of course, then all the other things that the people of God, the prophets of God spoke to God's people, they discarded. They gave it no value and ended up disobeying, rebelling. Those were the words they spoke. And so the writer is saying, man, let's make sure we don't do what they did. We too are receiving the good news, right? Jesus wants to make himself known to this world still through his people. Are we his people? Are we putting him on display or not? The author of Hebrews makes it clear that simply hearing the proclamation of God's word does not enable anybody to enter spiritual rest. In other words, it's not an automatic thing. If we ignore the steps, what steps? The steps of hearing plus believing plus obeying, we ignore that? If we too place no value on that, evidenced by how we live our lives, there will be no rest. You will have anxiety. You will know stress. You will know burnout. No rest. Because the principle of faith supports everything God does in the lives of his people. And because of that, failure to respond to his word by faith Failing to obey his commands by faith will result in his discipline rather than his blessing. Look at verse 4 through 6 with me now. For somewhere he has spoken. I like that the writer does that. He, he knows where it's at. It's Genesis chapter 2, verse 2. It says, but for somewhere he has spoken about the seventh day in these words. On the seventh day, God rested from all his works. And again, in the passage above, he says, they shall never enter my rest. Therefore, since it still remains for some to enter that rest, and since those who formerly had the good news proclaimed to them did not go in because 
of their disobedience. And we'll stop there for a moment. The rest we read of here in Hebrews 3 and 4 is traced, as we've seen, all the way back to Genesis chapter 2, verse 2. And here's the deal, church, that we need to understand. God never, ever intended to enjoy that rest that he entered into on that seventh day all alone. That was never his intention. And it was always something that would speak to a greater rest that he had in mind for his people. We got, will we ever get to the place where we know that we can just trust God? <laughs> that he knows what he's doing? And he really does have our best interest in mind. What is it with us that always thinks we've got a better idea? God never intended to enjoy that rest alone or keep it all to himself. The door was always wide open into that spiritual place of rest. The people of Moses' time allowed their fear to block that door. Leading into God's rest. They saw giants in the land, as we know. We're familiar with the story. Obstacles too great, pitfalls too deep. The Lord's open arms were met with fear and trembling. I want you to try to get an image in your mind of that very thing. Just kind of imagine God standing before that spiritual place of rest, arms extended, representing his love and his care, and his compassion, his mercy, and his grace, all of that. And then looking at him and saying, nah, I don't think so. It's exactly what we do when we think we've got a better idea and reject that rest. And settle for what? Anxiety? Fear? Stress? Pills? Come on. What kind of deal is that? I'm, I'm so tempted to say I'm going to say it. It's another evidence that sin makes us stupid. Amen. <laughs> Whatever the fear or anxiety, the same can happen to us today. It's, it's tragic that probably more times than not, maybe more than we would care to admit in our own lives, Rather than our not being like them, we fall right into their footsteps and are like them. Same can happen to us today if we are careful not to deal with it properly in faith. Verse 7 and 8. God again set a certain day calling it today. <laughs> this he did when a long time later he spoke through David, as in the passage already quoted, which is from Psalm 95. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken later about another day. The Israelites missed, therefore failed to enter God's physical rest in the promised land because of their lack of faith. 
Although Joshua led the people into the promised land, which is representing a physical rest, what the writer here is letting us know that, yes, God indeed intended for them to have a physical rest when they got established in the land that he had promised for them, but he had an even greater rest in mind, a spiritual rest. And that's what is being said here. If Joshua had offered that, then God would not here be speaking of another time, another day. Joshua did lead them in, and they did, to some degree, have some level of physical rest, but not so much ever really getting to and experiencing and enjoying and living out the greater rest, the spiritual rest, that spiritual condition. They missed out. God still promised another greater type of rest to them when they were in the land of promise. So there's a promise given, and it's a promise of rest, real spiritual rest, one that we can, in the midst of chaos, in the midst of circumstances going on around us that we would rather not have going on around us, in the midst of all that, God is saying, there is a peace. There is a joy. There is a rest that I want you to have. Just trust me. Give it to me. Let me have it. And watch what I do with that which you've not been able to do, no matter how hard you've tried. There's a rest. Now, in this context, it's not the Sabbath day that's being referred to. It's, the prom it's not the promised land that's being referred to here. It is Christ's rest. Are you seeing that? It's important. Hopefully, the words of Jesus found in Matthew 11, which we have referred to already twice in the last two weeks, become even more impactful to us at this point. Come unto me. All who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Yes. Christ's rest. There's an emphasis attached to the word today here since it shows up and is used twice in these two verses. The writer is attempting to convince the struggling Christians of his day with regards to the urgency and timeliness of entering God's vital and essential rest. Verses 7 and 8 let us know that the rest discussed by the author refers to a present spiritual condition achieved in this life by faith and faith alone. Amen? The promise of rest can be experienced today. It can, it can, it can. When we hear his voice, at that moment, we have a choice, don't we? We have a choice. Two choices really come down to just two. One, you can harden your heart in unbelief, leading to your disobedience. Or we can soften them in faith and in action. This is a constant, ongoing Every moment of the day decision. It is. It isn't just a one-time decision you made somewhere in the past 
or maybe today, or sometime you think you might do that in the future. It is a moment-by-moment decision that we have to make. Look at verse 9 and 10 with me now. He says, there remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from their works, just as God did from his. Now, typically, I think a lot of folks read that and and they think Sabbath day rest and they think, you know, a day off and that kind of thing. But that actually is not what's being referred to here. Once again, in this context, the rest being talked about is not referring to a day off. The Greek word ergon, translated here as works, is also elsewhere in the New Testament translated as deeds. We've talked about this. Paul talks about it. James talks about it, right? Not saved by works, but then James comes along and really agrees and says, I, 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 I get that, but if someone's really, really saved, they're, they're going to work. But that's not what this is about. The rest spoken of is the rest that occurs when you give up trying to earn your salvation. When you give up trying to earn blessing. When you give up trying to earn a good spot with God. (laughs) Thinking, oh, if I do this and I do this, then I will have his favor. It's not what... God calls us to do, in that there is no rest. The rest that is being spoken of here is being free of your thinking you have to earn something. Because you see, it is not by your energy. It is not because of your righteousness, and it certainly isn't going to be because of your awesome prayer life. None of that. God is saying you do not have to work to earn your salvation because I give it to you freely. You You don't have to strive, stress out, get all anxious to find acceptance with me because I accept you without conditions, which is why I like to say, as I said earlier this morning, in spite of us. God makes the promise continue to remain. It still stands. He still offers it in spite of us. You don't have to strive to find acceptance with me, God says. I accept you. Which I think we need to also understand then on that note, it should mean to us that we are to accept without conditions. And by that, I mean our trying to work and earn. We place conditions on something that requires no conditions. You understand what I'm saying? And so, therefore, we too then are to accept without conditions what he already offers to us freely. Let me try to explain. Just as God created the world and blessed us with its beauty and splendor, In a manner of speaking, we go with its flow, don't we? We go with the flow of creation. In other words, the sun comes up, the sun goes down. You and I can do nothing about that. We go with the flow. 
and maybe sometimes complain because of the time being changed, but <laughs> we go with the flow of creation. We go with what he has set up, right? Nothing we can do about it. Similarly, we are to go with the flow of the plan of salvation, which includes our entering into his rest. Can't be earned. Just freely received. Are you, I hope, sensing and receiving into your heart the freedom and the peace that comes with that? God's place of rest is not something that you achieve by your own efforts. It's something that you do receive by the goodness of God. It's not because of your goodness. It's not because of what you have done. It's because of what he has done. Amen? Look at verse 11 with me. It says, let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest so that no one will perish by following their example of disobedience, referring to the Old Testament people, okay? The writer knew that it would not be easy for his readers to give up and get over the habit that they had developed of worry, anxiety, or stress, but he calls on them to respond with determination. Make every effort, he says. I think this would be a good time for all of us to be reminded. We have the greatest power that this world has ever seen <laughs> living within us. Think about it. Holy Spirit, fire breathing. <laughs> Powerful, yeah. living within us. And so with that understanding and with that knowledge and our believing that, embracing that, we can then make every effort as we are being empowered and enabled by the Spirit of God to make that every effort in order to enter God's rest. That's good news, church. Once again, not left up to us. We make the choice, we surrender, we devote. It's still God that is getting it done, not us. That's good news. Most of us probably relate to the word, relate to the word when we hear the word effort, we might think difficulty, maybe we think hard work, so on and so forth. But I get this, check this out. The word in the original language actually means to be zealous, or to be eager. I thought that was pretty good. So it's kind of like the question to us is, when was the last time you were zealous and eager to do the hard thing? So in this context, what are we to be zealous and eager about? I'll tell you, obedience. Obeying, to, obeying his word. I don't believe that God ever intended this to be a hard thing. I think it's, it is as if he wants us to understand 
the effort can become effortless. <laughs> Are you hearing that? Effortless when we do it his way. Which, here we go again, means what? Getting ourselves out of the way. <laughs> Doing it his way. When we finally learn the Christian walk is not about us, but about Jesus, not about what we must do, but about what he has already done, good things happen in our lives and in our hearts. A special note before we go any further, I, I want to say that while this passage isn't necessarily dealing with a Sabbath day of rest where we cease from our labors, it is not dismissing it, nor is it diminishing it. Here's what I believe to be true. Those days of rest, and when we talk about and see where God on the seventh day took his rest, were all things that would point to, are to be seen, are to be understood as emphasizing, reminding the spiritual rest that he offers. You understand what I'm saying? When we read in Genesis chapter 2, verse 2, that God rested on the seventh day, when we read later that God has set aside that seventh day to be a day of rest, all of those are to speak to and encourage us to be mindful of God's spiritual rest that he offers to us. So what else does God offer to help us break loose <laughs> of these habits of ours of stressing and anxiousness and fear and doubt and unbelief, breaking loose from ourselves, getting in the way? God's word. God's word will do the breaking loose. Look at verse 12 and 13 with me now. For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul, spirit, joints, and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. The truth of verse 13 happens because of the truth of verse 12. God's word just absolutely slices and dices and fillets us. We are uncovered, it says, laid bare before the eyes of the one whom we will give an account. Yesterday morning was talking with Bill and down at the 821 walk, and he was, I don't know how we got on the subject, but he was mentioning this exhibit that's traveling around the world, I guess, that, um, and I learned later, Bill, that it's re the exhibit is called Body Works. And this exhibit uh, has the human body on display there with the, with the flesh removed, so to speak. Okay, so it's all gone, and what you see is, what is underneath our skin. <laughs> and it didn't, I didn't make the connection until later on yesterday afternoon about tying that in with this right here. It's kind of like what God is saying. 
what the Word of God does. It opens up, lays bare, nothing hidden from his eyes, from his sight. We don't know what someone might be hiding in their hearts. But when God's truth penetrates a person and does spiritual surgery, the content of one's heart is revealed. And he or she is forced to face it as it is. The point is that when the Bible is read or heard and received and believed in faith, it actively goes to work inside our hearts like no other piece of literature can. In other words, when it is seen as value, not rejected, but accepted, it goes to work and does God's work within us. Someone has wisely said, and this is what Kenny was referring to earlier this, this morning, when you crack open your Bible, God opens his mouth and begins to speak. The question is, are we listening? The word given by God has supernatural features. It says it is living. And it says that it is active. It touches us where nothing else can reach us. It says that it's sharp. It penetrates and probes and cutting into and through the surface and the facade of our lives. God's word can correct a negative attitude, open a closed mind and heart, halt one's desire to abandon devotion and commitment, soften a rebellious spirit, and can even eradicate lust, greed, and hate. God's word has the capacity to sift out analyze, scrutinize our thoughts, our deepest feelings, desires, instincts, passions, our intentions, and our motives. There is no use in running or hiding. The writer lets us know God's word is universal in scope and has unlimited exposure. So you might as well submit to the surgery and don't fight the physician don't delay the operation. <laughs> Obey right away. Yes. It is then that we find rest increasing while holding firmly and professing our faith. Look at verse 14 and 15 with me. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. C.H. Spurgeon, a preacher from another time, once said, Faith enables us to rejoice in the Lord that our weaknesses become platforms for the display of his great power and grace. We can profess and have a confident faith because we have a great 
high priest. Amen. Amen. We have a tendency to doubt, to fear, and to focus on our inadequacies rather than God's sufficiency. May that cease. But we have a great high priest who understands. In other words, one who gets us. How do we know? Well, it says because he was tempted in every way, just as we are. You see, what's important about that is for Jesus to be the compassionate, faithful high priest that he is, those temptations he endured had to be real. Needed to be, had to be genuine temptations for him. And they were. And let's be reminded that he did that. He endured them, did not give in to the temptations, and he did it fully as a human being, as a man. From our limited perspective, it is difficult to understand this great mystery. But what we can say is this. Jesus was tempted, and it was real. But we also can say he did not give in to the, to the temptation. He did not sin. And what should that cause us to do? Look at verse 16. Nothing in all, or excuse me, verse 16. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. The Greek word translated may here does not mean might or maybe, it means will. In other words, the, it's a done deal, will. So this is not an invitation to come boldly and see how you might be doing. No, <laughs> no it's to come confidently. It is to come boldly because when you come to the throne of God boldly, not tentatively, not reluctantly, but boldly, because the price has been paid, because the work has been done. You find mercy and you find grace. I'm thinking, talk about peace that passes all understanding. Talk about a rest beyond compare. And so God continues to hold out, hold out to his children a peaceful worry-free lifestyle that we can enter into on a moment-by-moment basis. Will it happen automatically? Oh, we wish, don't we? But no. <laughs> but we are instructed. Once again, I refer to make every effort, the writer says, to enter that rest. We are to acknowledge that our God is in full control of our lives. We are to acknowledge he is the one who calls the shots. Amen. We are to take him at his word. Believe his promises. Oh, and by the way, the Bible is full of them. Let's believe them. We are to claim those promises by faith. Apply them to our particular circumstances as if God were just first for the first time, speaking them directly to us, fresh and new. This may be the best way to explain one of my most favorite verses found in Psalm 46, verse 10. One translation says, be still 
and know that I am God. Another says, cease striving and know that I am God. Put differently, like I said last night, Dave's translation, <laughs> let go, relax. <laughs> what a beautiful, refreshing thing it would be to see most of God's people relaxing in him. Oh, imagine that. Really thoroughly at peace in his rest, leaning fully and completely on him. So how about it, church? How about it? When will this describe you? Father, we come before you this morning, and hopefully we, we come with um, grateful hearts that you have loved us enough, cared for us enough, speak to us these words that we find in Hebrews chapter 4. We are being encouraged. We are being admonished to not be like those talked about who Moses led out of Egypt, who fought, who who found no value in your message, rebelled against you, sinned against you in disobedience. It is my prayer, God, that every single one of us would not be like them, but would become more and more and more like you, transformed into your image because we place the highest value ever upon your words, upon the rest that you offer and not settle for anything less. You are our peace. You are our joy. You are our hope. May we enter that and remain there for the rest of our days. And I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message by Wellspring of Life Church in Western Colorado. If you'd like to learn more about our community, please visit wellspringoflifechurch.com. So I will lift up, lift up my heart.